Hi, it's Mark Sisson. Welcome to the Primal Blueprint Podcast, where we deliver a variety of fresh content to help you live awesome. Enjoy the show. Engage with us online at marksdailyapple.com and on social media, and send your questions to info at primalblueprint.com. It is time to discuss two meals a day. All right. Uh, we've been at this now for 12 years, cranking hard, cranking out books. And every time we finish a book, we say, there's really nothing more we can say about healthy eating and supportive lifestyle habits. But there always seems to be something more to say. And with the, uh, with the concept that we're hitting on here, it feels like a real breakthrough at a great time because people are starting to uh, get frustrated and confused. There's too many factioning and there, there's yeah. disputed messages and now we're doing something that's simple, sustainable yep. for anyone from whatever particular dietary preferences they have. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, you know, this is uh, the natural evolution of uh, our line of thinking, which goes back, you know, 20 years in my case, and then 12 years of writing books, uh, where we're trying to hit upon, um, you know, not just an efficient way for one or two people in a crowd to experience. <laughs> Benefits, but something that that can be overlain and be used by just about everyone. And it started out with primal for us, and primal was was cl- clearly uh, a better way of eating because it eliminated some of the crap, right? So that was like like phase one was just going back to a diet that were uh, evolved to to consume kind of our uh, you know the, the the sorts of foods that our guts uh, are adapted to digest easily. So we got rid of grains, we got rid of the lectins, we got rid of um, the, un, the unnatural uh, industrial seed oils, the processed sugars, and we came down to real food. And that worked great. And, that, and that's, look, that's a starting point for anybody. And then we said, okay, what's the next level of this? Maybe it's keto. Maybe it's trying to, um, to get to a point where we eliminate carbs so much that uh, we develop this ability to create ketones and offset the need for glucose and offset the need for eating carbohydrates on a regular basis. Um, and it made a lot of sense because there was good research behind it in terms of neurological stuff, in terms of energy, in terms of, uh, you know, of, in, in, just in, in general terms, mostly the medical community was looking at, 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 at ketosis as a, as a means of doing this. You know, and then we hit upon the concept of metabolic flexibility as kind of the holy grail. So, it goes now from paleo to primal to keto to metabolic flexibility. And metabolic flexibility really c- kind of encompasses a lot of different ways of eating. But the end result is that you achieve this ability to derive energy from whatever energy substrate is available on your body. Whether it's the fat on your plate of food, the fat stored on your hips or thighs, the carbohydrate on your plate of food, the glucose in your bloodstream, the glycogen in your muscles or your liver, or the ketones that your liver makes in the absence of glucose. And so the metabolic flexibility term became kind of the main holy grail of what we were seeking over the past several years. And I've really emphasized the, um, the metabolic flexibility part of that um, and metabolic efficiency and being efficient in how you uh, generate energy and how you go through the day with, with a steady state of energy and not at the effect of hormonal swings and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Then, you know, we, we looked at um, what's the logical way to allow most of the world to achieve metabolic flexibility. Is it through keto? Well, that's one way. 
but it's also through the um, sort of the smart use of fasting and mm-hmm. intermittent fasting. And, and I think the term intermittent fasting has, for a lot of people, been, um, you know, maybe a little intimidating, right? Like, like fasting by itself is like a word that a lot of people would say, wait a minute, I, I, I don't fast. I can't mm-hmm. go. I can't skip a meal, right? So intermittent fasting is a little bit of an easier term. Um, but, you know, it's still, t- it's still a way in which we can um, go for longer periods of time without eating and, and use that as, as a way to develop metabolic efficiency and metabolic flexibility regardless of the way of eating. So regardless of whether you're a, you know, a vegan or a vegetarian or a carnivore or keto or paleo or primal or ancestral or Weston A. Price or um, uh, uh, you know, FODMAP or whatever, there, there are ways in which we can develop this this uh, metabolic efficiency, metabolic flexibility by using periods of time that we're not eating, right? And that's really what got us to this concept of two meals a day. So eating less frequently now turns out to be as important, possibly more important yep. than nitpicking every single meal perfectly and maybe overdoing it and snacking yep. all day on keto-approved snacks. We see so many processed products now. It's kind of funny from the starting point where you know the, the science of uh, ketone was from uh, you know starvation, yeah, and now it's from uh, a packaged snack that you you too can join no, the it, club. No, it, it 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 feels like the whole keto movement has gone toward. What's the most amount of food I can eat and not gain weight? What's the most amount of keto-approved snacks that I can consume? What's, you know, the nut butters or the chocolates or the drinks or the, or the keto cookies or the keto cereals? I mean, they're, they're, they're everywhere. And, and, it, and it feels like that movement has gone, again, toward to more on the side of, as I say, what's the most amount of food I can mm-hmm. eat and not disrupt my gut and not... And not uh, you know, uh, gain weight and not feel guilty. And, and so keto foods become this sort of guilt, guiltless pleasure. Like they don't have any sugar and they're, you know, they have all these, these, you know, aspects of them that mimic re- the food that you wish you were eating, like keto pancakes and keto breads and keto and all the stuff that we, and keto desserts. And it's like, those are all the things that, that we really shouldn't be eating in any context. So to try to make them up as, you know, as, as a fake, form of comfort food misses the point. The point is not what's the most amount of food I can eat and not gain weight and not be uncomfortable. The point is really what's the least amount of food I can eat and maintain muscle mass and maintain energy and not get sick and most importantly, not be hungry. And you find that it's an amazingly small amount of calories and protein and fat and a little bit of carbs. Now, I'm not suggesting that it has to be a tiny amount, but I'm saying that that when you realize that we as a society eat way too much food and that probably three meals a day is one meal a day too many. <laughs> not, um, that, not that big a deal. Only, only 33% too many meals. Yeah. But, you know, now we're coming off of uh, decades of having done this compressed eating window, this mm. this intermittent fasting concept, where we go from you know dinner one night to lunch the next day, and it's it's a routine for both of us, mm. right? It's like like I would never, almost never eat breakfast. This, you know, maybe if I'm on the road and it's a different time zone or whatever, but I almost never eat breakfast. 
the, the morning meal because I'm not hungry for it. I have all the energy I want. And I, and I, I trust that my body is going to get all the energy it needs from my stored body fat. Mm. That's the reason we have this amazing mechanism that stores excess calories as fat. The biggest issue throughout the last several decades has been we're really good at taking excess calories and storing them as fat. We really suck at taking those excess calories that are stored as fat and burning them off as energy the way it was intended, the way we evolved, the way our genes expect us to do that. Because we keep snacking and eating and trying to control caloric intake and eating too little in some cases, but eating too frequently and throwing off this magnificent ability to, to pull from storage. That's a great example. Uh, you know, for decades, the mantra in the fitness community and the health communities was eat multiple small meals throughout the day. Humans are grazers. We're natural grazers. And therefore, you know, uh, rather than eat three square meals a day, people were advocating carrying your little Tupperware thing around with, a, with the macronutrients apportioned just so, you know, 12 grams of protein and 20 grams of carbs in this and some fiber. And, and eating five or six small meals a day, never going two hours without eating. And it's, it's just crazy that how the pendulum swings back and forth and how that was probably the worst advice mm. you could give a human being. Mm-hmm. Um, it promoted hunger all the time. It, it promoted a, uh, a high level of circulating insulin. Mm-hmm. All the time, um, it promoted a higher carbohydrate intake in order to balance out the blood sugar all the time. It prevented the body from ever going into a mode where it was going to want to tap into mm. stored body fat to burn it for energy. It prevented the body from ever uh, choosing to make more mitochondria to burn fat mm-hmm. to have more energy all the time it It had like zero positive impact except that somebody in food science somewhere Mm. said blood sugar is the key and maintaining steady state blood glucose requires that you have insulin all the time it could be the american diabetes association i don't know whoever it was that promoted this but it's it's this path down which we have gone that has caused so much pain and suffering for so many people it's about calorie control and portion control and and um, sacrifice and, again, small meals and little Debbie snacks of 100, 100 calories, you know, maximum. That seemed to be the, you know, again, like some cutoff, magic cutoff point. And what we're saying in this, in this new book, in Two Meals a Day, is this is ridiculous. Like, like most of what happens that's good in the human body happens when we're not eating. Mm. And the more time you allow the body to repair itself, restore itself, burn off, excess calories, um, upregulate enzyme systems that burn fat, um, engage in autophagy, which is basically cellular house cleaning, housekeeping, uh, and DNA repair that really only happens in the absence of food and the absence of glucose and the absence of insulin. Um, all these great things can happen when we get to a point where we are comfortable eating two meals a day. Mm. And so we wrote a book about, like, how does that happen? How do I get comfortable eating two meals a day? And it's kind of a joke because it becomes very comfortable. It becomes the most natural and comfortable thing that you could imagine. And if you understand that that in only eating two meals a day, and in some cases one and a half meal a day, and in some cases one meal a day, you are 
benefiting your body, you're, you're enhancing your uh, metabolic efficiency and metabolic flexibility, you're enhancing your ability to sleep better at night, you're, um, you're, you're shoring up your immune defenses, your immune system, uh, you are probably engaging in some means of anti-aging strategy with the autophagy. Uh, you know, it's like, it's such a, uh, it's such an all-encompassing strategy to be able to, uh, regardless of your way of eating, to be able to engage in this concept of two meals a day and using intermittent fasting, or as we like to say, intermittent eating, um, as a strategy to, to completely change your health, completely change your body shape, completely, uh, morph into that ideal body composition that you've always wanted. Yeah, it kind of takes the pressure off too because those of us interested in healthy eating and diet and performance and optimizing, uh, we, we, it feels like we've been uh, compelled to go looking for the perfect diet and the best foods and uh, you know, obsessing and stressing about it and putting these pieces together. And if you miss your super nutrition acai bowl breakfast, well, you're not going to get as many antioxidants that day. You better go looking for some pills to replace that. And now this stuff is now with science blowing it out of the water, validating yep. that the human works best in the fasted state. The problem is if you have had a lifelong carbohydrate dependency paradigm, you're going to feel like crap when you skip a meal. And if you're reading in a book or watching a video or podcast, people saying you work better in a fasted state, it's not going to ring true. So yeah, yeah. you talked about that a little. Maybe we can um, move over to the, the manner in which to do this properly so that it's graceful, it's smooth, you feel fine skipping breakfast. You, you emphasize that point that you may be eating fewer calories when you get healthier, and that's actually a good thing, yeah. but it's, it's all yeah. automatic and by default rather than this pain, suffering, and sacrifice approach that we've been socialized to think is the way to go. Yeah. You know, um, no, it's, it's very interesting that, again, people tend to uh, get caught up in an assumption that uh, I need X amount of calories, like I, I figured my BMI and I went and got my... <laughs> my um, Harris, you know, score or whatever it was to plug in the amount of activity I do and multiply. The Harris-Benedict equation. You know, yes. p- 0.7 or 0.8, I can't figure out which it is because some days I run 10 miles and some days I run six. You know, all these all these different things are such minutiae and it's so, mm. so um, unimportant in the overall scheme of things. And yet people have tended to live and die by the numbers, by calorie counting, by portion control, by macronutrient, you know, th- th- this whole thing, make it, you know, does it fit your macros <laughs> is, is another mantra that came out of I, uh, CrossFit or whatever, uh, with an assumption that it, this was all about calories in, calories out. And it was really, you know, some, some simple balanced equation. It's, it's far more complex than that. But at the end of the day, we, we start to realize that the body is an amazing mechanism. It's an amazing machine. It, uh, we, we start to think in terms not of um, what's going to happen if I miss one meal or what's going to happen uh, day to day if I miss my macros, but we start to think more broadly in terms of um, trust that the body's going to handle anything I, I, I give it today and tomorrow and the next day, whether it's you know 40 grams of protein and a total of 1,200 calories, or whether it's 275 grams of protein and 3,500 calories, the body, once you become attuned to this way of eating, the body adjusts and the body 
um, either stores or burns the fat according to uh, a long-term strategy it has, not a short-term strategy. I mean, I, I remember back in the days when people would say, um, you know, I'm on the treadmill and I'm burning 450 calories on the treadmill so that I can eat an extra 450 calories tonight for dinner, as if there is this um, balanced equation mm. right down to the last calorie every single meal and every single workout. And this is not how it works, people. This is like, the again, it, we in the book, we start to talk about maybe three and four and five-day periods of time where if over the course of five days you get 575 grams of protein, I don't care whether most of it came on one day or none of it came on another day. You really look in, in larger spans of time because the body is able to um, hold on to amino acids. It's got an amino acid uh, sink uh, when you are um, fasted for any length of time. There's an amazing uh, upregulation of protein sparing uh, systems in the body that allow you to recycle amino acids that you would otherwise have just deaminated and peed out because you ate too much protein one day and you know not enough the next so all these things come to come to play when you develop this skill and the skill is being able to go longer periods of time without having to eat a meal and and in, and being comfortable in the process of doing it because hunger ruins everything and mm -hmm. anybody who's ever tried to die will tell you that i mean i can i can only will myself to cut calories for so long until my the hunger pangs take over and my brain starts to go crazy with with uh, the idea that I'm going to starve and it's and it's bad for me. So we can train the body to do that and this is again in the book we talk about the way to stair step yourself into uh, a kinder gentler way of going longer periods of time without eating uh, and and setting yourself up for success and not failure in so doing surrounding yourself with sort of the, the kind of the the healthier approved snacks that you can use to offset whatever hunger that is, or maybe it's um, using a strategy of of going for a walk instead of eating a snack and and trying to engage uh, in some form of exercise that's going to promote some mobilization of of fuel stores. There are lots of lots of ways in which we can achieve this lifestyle of two meals a day. That ultimately, that ultimately results in metabolic flexibility and metabolic efficiency. Well, that was a pretty nice setup for the early part of the book. Maybe we can kind of navigate through the chapters and give the, the, the listener, viewer, a complete experience. Uh, but I think we, we hit those, those yeah. points pretty well that's not about calories in, calories out. And I have to say, our, our timing is pretty good because this convergence of science... Uh, with uh, Dr. Panda and the time-restricted feeding and Dr. Ponser with the amazing study of the Hadza. Um, Tommy Wood yep. and Rob Wolf have been talking about this for a while now yep. that um, Jason Fung has a lot of research in his books too that um, if you try to eat fewer calories and burn more calories, you won't even lose weight. Yeah. And the Women's Health Initiative proved this with tens of thousands of women agreeing and being very strict for a few years of eating 230 calories less per day and exercising 10% more. And the predicted calculation from the equations with that they would each lose 32 pounds and they lost like 0.6. Right, right, Nothing yeah, happened. Right. The body adjusts yep. by becoming lazier at rest, 
less motivated. Maybe your 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 foot's tapping right. less as you're as you're working, and you're just burning fewer calories, feeling more tired. There's so many complaints, and we feel these emails from particularly a lot of females. Their thyroid's downregulated. Their adrenal function yep. is downregulated because they're trying to go through pain, suffering, and sacrifice, and and, and control their meal portions and exercise too hard. Yeah. So. Uh, I guess we can jump to the first step, which is to get rid of the crap. And this is also a wonderful scientific breakthrough that if you just stop eating the the big three, we call them, um, you're going to have an explosion of health and get way up there towards your potential. And I hope by now that most people realize that getting rid of sugar is like, um, you know, like task number one in any any eating strategy and any um, plan that you have to to um, your regain health, uh, getting rid of as much sugar in your diet as you possibly can. Uh, and that's, we've known that for a long time. But what a lot of people don't recognize is how pervasive and insidious industrial seed oils are. So, you know, we've talked about this over the past several years, but corn oil, soybean oil, canola oil, these pr- highly processed oils that, um, that are, uh, first of all, pro-inflammatory in nature for the most part, so they're causing some some manner of systemic inflammation in the body. They're they're not easily combusted, so they're not the kind of fats that are burned easily. But in fact, they're incorporated into cell membranes, and these are sort of dysfunctional molecules of uh, omega six fats or omega nine fats that are that are then um, interfering with the normal structure and function of of an otherwise healthy cell, and. And people don't get it because for the longest time we've we've been hearing the story that corn oil is heart healthy or that soybean oil is is heart healthy or that canola is heart healthy and 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 they're not uh, and so that's another you know sort of uh, uh, misnomer uh, fake news coming out of the eighties sixties seventies and eighties that we kind of have to overturn and tell people look if to the extent that you can get rid of these industrial seed oils, uh, you will be better off. And what do you replace them with is uh, olive oil, extra virgin olive oil, uh, coconut oil, uh, avocado oil, uh, butter, ghee, lard, you know, traditional sources of animal fats and things like that. Yeah, that's a big one. Uh, just, just to give the, the quick picture here, if you're consuming these oils, it promotes insulin resistance because your fat metabolism is messed up. And so you're going to kind of need those quick energy carbohydrates yep. because yep. you can't burn fat well. So you're going to eat those carbohydrates, produce more insulin. And so we have sort of these, these, uh, these distinct objectives to get rid of those processed carbohydrates, grains and sugars. Grains turn into sugars pretty quickly after yep. you eat them. You've yep. been the grain crusader for so long. For long time. And now the oils are really finally getting highlighted mm-hmm. as, um, you know, a big public enemy here. Yeah, so if you get rid of the oils, you are, you are more likely to be able to get rid of the processed grains because you won't be as, uh, you know, jonesing for them on a regular basis for that quick, that quick uh, hit of blood sugar, blood glucose. So if the, uh, the enthusiast agrees to do this, um, there's different strategies, there's different people, habits, behavior patterns, uh, but it's coming clear, at least I, I'm going to put this on YouTube, it's becoming clear that um, a, a really devoted restriction period for at least 21 days, like, like yeah. our book, 21 Day Transformation, sure. 
Um, you have to get these out of your diet to allow the fat-burning genes to start upregulating and to, to make progress, where if you try to cut back on sugar, uh, the, the addictive properties of sugar, Dr. Robert Lustig talks about that yeah. in his book, Dr. William Davis and Wheat Belly talking about the addictive properties of, of wheat products mm-hmm. will, will suck you back in. They have, they have strong addictive properties. Right. Yeah, so, so this is, uh, there's no escaping the fact that you have to get rid of these things. It's, it's an elimination diet for 21 days. Uh, at the very least, just to kind of reconfigure your metabolism. And um, it, it, it appears that although some of these changes take place in a shorter period of time, uh, and some people will adapt within a few days or a few weeks, three weeks is probably a, a, a good amount of time for it to really settle in and for the body to start to get um, you know, used to fewer simple processed carbohydrates um, will not be expecting these um, processed industrial seed oils uh, and will be um, better attuned from having uh, your from your having eliminated sugars uh, for instance the brain will say look I've, I've got to build a metabolic machinery to use ketones because mm. there's not going to be a source a regular source of exogenous glucose coming in for my meals every two or three hours and so the brain starts to get very comfortable burning the ketones and by the way the liver, you don't ever have to have been in ketosis and you never have to be, have been ketogenic to have a perfectly functioning liver that can crank out ketones all day long. The liver, the liver can make 750 calories a day worth of ketones if it needs to. Now, mm-hmm. most people would never even have anywhere near that requirement. But the point is, almost everybody has the capacity to be producing ketones. What they don't have is the is the metabolic machinery and the and, and and the brain having gotten used to it? So that's what takes a couple of weeks. That what takes that's what takes about twenty one days to start to reduce this carbohydrate dependency and start to become metabolically flexible, so that the muscles are start starting to burn a little bit more fat and not so dependent on glucose or glycogen. So that the brain is a little bit more used to burning ketones, and so when it's low in glucose and blood sugar drops, there's not an issue. Um, but if you don't do this work and then you, you start to uh, spend, you know, skip meals, that's when you get the issues that people have complained about. That's when you get, you know, the keto flu or the headaches or the wooziness because you haven't, you haven't methodically and systematically gone through a process that coaches the body into making the adaptations over time one day to the next so that when you finally get to the point where you start talking about skipping a meal here or extending the period of time where you're not eating, it's it's... It's done with ease and grace. And it helps with that ease and grace to serve yourself some fabulous, lavish, high satiety, nutrient-dense meals so that we don't have to struggle or suffer. And even if that includes uh, consuming a lot of healthy, nutrient-dense carbohydrates as you're trying to transition over. Um, And I think that's the big mistake we've seen is carbohydrates are evil, cut them out of your diet, go keto, uh, fight through it. It's really tough. You're going to get the flu, but, but don't worry. It'll, it'll yeah. go away soon. And that's complete nonsense. So, I mean, I was one of those people when, when you took my cereal bowl away in 2008, my giant healthy yeah. grain uh, granolas and, and non-fat yogurt and fruit, but I had a ton of carbohydrates every morning dating back to my athletic days my whole life. And that was my morning centerpiece. Yeah. Well, I had to trade that for a six egg omelet with avocados and salsa and cheese and veggies and bacon and oh my gosh it was delicious but that 
that meal sustained me for many hours. Yeah. Now, a year later, I woke up uh, many mornings realizing I didn't need to make this gigantic thing to stuff down my face to get energy. Yeah. But to make that transition gradual and graceful, as you say, yeah. it means go ahead and enjoy healthy, nutritious foods. Yeah. We'll talk later about your snacking habits because the goal one day is to sit down to two delicious meals a day and not need the other things. But when those hunger signals come. Yeah. You, you know, know, and it's not just when they come. It's like, you know, we're sitting here in my apartment where there's a refrigerator right over there full of full of things that we could go grab a handful of. And, you know, and it's nut butters and it's paleo crackers and there's all kinds of like great tasting things that are, they're right there. And it's just my brain saying, I don't, I'm not hungry. I don't, I don't need the energy. Why would I, you know, why would I want to do that? So that's sort of what we have to kind of uh, look at as well is how do we bypass that tendency to just mindlessly grab for a snack and because we could get away with it or because we know it's not going to, in the overall scheme of things, it's not going to be a, a massive deterrent to what we're doing. But, but ultimately, as you say, if we can get to two meals a day, which both both of which are delicious and almost hedonistic because some of the recipes that we're going to you know provide in the book are like outrageously lavish and and sumptuous and um you know and and tasty and and satisfying and everything you want from a meal. I mean, look, I I've said this many times in many podcasts that I want every bite of food I ever put in my mouth to taste fantastic. So I'm not going to slam down uh you know a smoothie that's made with kale and, and chia seeds because somebody told me it was good for me and it's full of fiber. If it doesn't taste great, I'm not going to eat it. So that's, that's, again, part of what we're trying to do here is get to the point where we're not beholden to these snacks and we're not beholden to, um, you know, to uh, the hunger, the, not even the hunger pangs, but the thoughts of hunger, like, oh my God, it's, it's you know, 1.30 and we haven't eaten lunch yet. And isn't it lunchtime? Don't I need to eat lunch? And the answer is no, you don't need to eat any meal, really. You don't need to. Um, the fact that it's there and it's available and you can, that's great. But, but I want to, I, re- I really want people to get that intuitive sense that, um, my body's just going to be, you know, firing on all cylinders. I'm going to be deriving energy from my own stored body fat. Even if like, you know, I'm, I'm 8% body fat, 9% body fat. I still have plenty of fat to carry me through a couple of days of not eating. I'm not going to not eat because I love to eat, but I'm just saying, you know, I, I have the means to be able to do that. You could walk to Key West with that amount of fat I, on your body. I definitely could. I won't, but I but I could. <laughs> so there is some uh, important discussion now of making good choices within the ancestral food categories. We've agreed to ditch yeah. the big three. Yeah. Um, and now we have the, the, the famous list from, from uh, hunter-gatherer times, meat, fish, fowl, eggs, vegetables, fruits, nuts, and seeds, and certain modern allowances. Uh, but within those categories, we, I think we, and we tubers, spend a lot of time. And starchy tubers. Right. Now. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, I mean, we can, we can breeze through that. Maybe you can focus on the, the animal foods, which are so vilified still today. And let's say for good reason, if you look at the video of the pig farm, the undercover video of the, the nasty conditions, and then we're, we're looking at distinctions in the areas of uh, the, the most nutrient yeah, I mean, foods. Yeah, I mean, that's a whole different discussion about the way, the way animals are treated in terms of raising them for food. Um, and we object to concentrated animal feed operations, feedlots, and things like that. Um, but, you know, if you have a grass-fed or pasture-raised uh, raised animal, um, that should be, in my mind the major source of nutrition for for everyone, whether it's beef, you know, pork, lamb, uh, chicken, fish, 
You know, all of those are like critical to uh, human health. Now, if you're a vegetarian and those are things that you don't eat, and maybe your next level of go-to would be, I, but I do eat some dairy products or I do eat some uh, some um, protein powders that are made with dairy whey, or maybe um, you know I eat eggs or cheese, um, as uh, which is what happened. Like my son, he, you know, he was a vegetarian his whole life, but he got a lot of protein from eating eggs and cheese and 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 that sort of thing. So he's you know, a lacto-ovo uh, vegetarian. But, but so we would start with quality sources of protein because I think this is really where food science has gone. And especially in, in this arena in the last year or two, you hear, um, you know, not just Paul Saladino and Sean Baker, but Rob Wolf talks a lot about protein. And, and there, are, there are no more real restrictions on like too much protein. Mm. It really gets down to like, you know, what is, what is going to satisfy you at a meal, really, you don't have to overeat. You don't have to undereat. It's just like how much protein you want to have in a meal, and going to feel satisfied and walk away from the table and go, "That was great," and I feel awesome. And now I'm good to go f- until whenever the next meal is, whether it's in eight hours or whether it's in 28 hours. Uh, so we start with the protein sources, most of which now have some form of healthy fat. So um, again, if you've got a pasture-raised animal, the fat profile on that animal is going to be uh, better than a than a than a feedlot operation animal would be. If you've got a line caught, you know wild salmon, you know that fat profile, that omega three uh, profile is going to be um, ideal. Uh, and then if you're supplementing with with some nuts or some you know avocado, and that that's a healthy fat. And then the oils, butter, ghee, and the sources of fat are all um, again typically animal sources, but they can also be uh, from from some of the um, again the extra virgin olive oil, coconut oil, um, avocado oil, and then we get down to the carbohydrate sources. And the carbohydrate sources, um, as we've said, could be you know in in some ex- to some extent unlimited amounts of vegetables. If you want to eat a lot of vegetables uh, as part of a meal, that's fine with us. That's you know that's that's uh, what I've been promoting the you know the big ass salad for fifteen years now. Um, so any, any sort of, uh, vegetables, although we make a joke that like, name me 15 vegetables that you will eat next year. You know, you get, you kind of get hung up around at number 12 or number 13, cause mm-hmm. it's a, there, there aren't that many. And then it's like, um, if you want to supplement with uh, sweet potato or starchy, you know, some, uh, white potatoes, you know, purple potatoes, whatever. I don't have a problem with that. Uh, for the longest time we, we eliminated, uh, legumes from mm-hmm. the primal blueprint because we sort of were adhering to this notion that that the lectins uh, were problematic for everybody. Turns out the lectins aren't pro- problematic for everybody. They're problematic for some people. So we started to let legumes back in to the diet. So now there's, I, I'll go out to dinner and I'll have some lentils once in a while. Right? <laughs> I'm glad I wasn't. I, I'm glad I wasn't that strict all along this journey. Yeah. Because new information keeps coming. The protein one. Yeah. Uh, and we've we've written and talked about yeah. the dangers of consuming too much protein, stimulating IGF one and mTOR, right. and right. increasing your cancer risk. But a lot of this research is coming from lazy asses who are sitting around eating crappy food all day. And oh my gosh, they got cancer and they had a high protein diet. So yeah. Yeah. I, I kind of like the reasonability. That uh, that you've come to over yeah. over the years, and, and have always emphasized that, and the and the personal preference that's always been kind of your 
your brand and your blog posts say, hey, I'm not, I'm not afraid to change my mind. And we've had videos about your enthusiasm for the, the carnivore nose to tail movement. Same here. It's, it's ca- captivating. It's compelling. It's something to test out and try out and constantly tweak and refine, yep. hoping that we feel good along the way. Yep. But if you feel crappy along the way while you're trying something, something's wrong with your approach. And those are words from the book. Like this should not happen. We do not want headaches, jitteriness, uh, binge backsliding and all these things that indicate a flawed approach. Yeah. Yeah. So there. So there. Uh, and we, you talked some about that superfoods, but that's kind of a fascinating new uh, strategy is to go and look for the most nutrient dense foods on earth. They both, they often happen to be from the animal kingdom. Yeah. And so there's a little bit of a trend toward emphasizing those pasture raised eggs and grass fed steak and maybe down-emphasizing the giant piles of vegetables, especially if you're a sensitive type. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I feel like a lot of these uh, different uh, ways of eating that have emerged over the past two decades um, have tried to be as restrictive as they possibly could mm. be and, and eliminate so many foods. And, and you know, as you know, on the other hand, I've tried to be as inclusive as possible. So I've tried to include, even though I've recognized that certain types of food are problematic for a lot of people, um, as... The research has, has improved. I've said let's let's maybe start to allow those in for people you know who don't have an issue with them. Whether it's nightshades, uh, you know, whether it's uh, foods that have sulforaphans or uh, you know broccoli and cauliflower and, and Brussels sprouts, or whether it's those uh, high uh, anthocyanin uh, um, uh, fruits like berries. Um, you know, find find a way to let them in, and then if they're not problematic for you, then then I would not see a reason to exclude them. Mm-hmm. You know, we talk about the carnivore diet and the fact that, um, in, in fact, our buddy Paul Saladino, who's like, nope, uh, keep the keep the vegetables away from me and keep the the berries away from me. Um, you know, that's worth trying for a short period of time, I guess, if you want. But I don't see that as a as a way to live. I mean, like, I, like I get what he's saying, but I'll have. You know, I'll have a cup of raspberries once in a while or a cup of blueberries because I, I like them and they're not problematic for me. Right. Yeah. And, and the enjoyment of the experience yeah. in itself contributes to a healthy diet. Um, we have some commentary from Bruce Lipton, Biology of Belief. We've long been yeah. fascinated by his work saying that your thoughts manifest your cellular function in your body at all times. So if you're sitting down to a meal with a smile yeah. and... That's why we go to fine dining and get that full experience or watch the shows where the people sure. are immersed in that. If you, if you can become more connected to your food source, go to the farmer's market, talk to the people, buy the ingredients, come home, prepare it. It's a huge difference from sucking down the, the, you know, the horrible tasting smoothie like Joe Rogan reported to you and you, you challenged him on that. Yeah. It tastes terrible, but I drink it every day. It's like, wait a second. Um, you know, we, we got to put that, that smile factor back in the sure. game. Yeah. Sure. Uh, yeah. So, you know, that brings us back to like cheese. I mean, some people have, I don't know, lactose intolerance. Many people who think they have lactose intolerance have an intolerance to casein or, or mm. you know, A1 casein, in fact, uh, specifically. Um, and yet I love cheese, so I'm not going to exclude it from my, from my way of eating, from my diet. Uh, and it's a, you know, I, and I look at a lot of foods like that. So again, I've let legumes back in, uh, to, to part of my diet. On the other hand, um, I have now chosen from my own personal experience to exclude, I don't eat a big salad that often anymore. Uh, it's not something that, 
um, that appeals to me. And I realized, you know, when I thought my assumption early on was that it was the fiber, it was going to be good for me. I needed the fiber. And now I realize I don't need the fiber because... Um, a lot of science behind that A lot that of too. science Not behind Not just that. your yeah. personal peculiarity, yeah, 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 but... Yeah. And I found, you know, and I'm looking back and I'm, I, had, I had gas when I, when I would eat a salad, you know, and I thought, well, that's normal and that's the fiber. And no, it's not normal and it shouldn't be that mm-hmm. way. And, and uh, so, you know, I've, I've adjusted my own eating, my own personal eating template uh, to account for this experiment of like eliminating certain things and bring them back in, noticing the effect that they had on me and then um, making an adjustment to my diet that way. Right. And, you know, we, we can engage in so much debate and contention and, and controversy, but you could say what you want to say about any of this stuff. Uh, if you're suffering in some way, it behooves you to uh, try some dietary strategies in attempt to heal. And one of the one of the popular ones now is that the exclusion of plant foods yep. and eating the, you know, not hard to follow because you're eating these high satiety meals and it might be a 30 day uh, trip for you that, yep. that does a, does a good benefit. And then you can reintroduce some of these foods that might be bugging you right now or, or choose not to. But I feel like um, a lot of people are stuck not knowing that their baseline, which they report is good, is actually not that good, yeah, and they don't even know what fantastic they, is. They don't know what it feels like. Yeah. Same with their exercise patterns. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah no, it, it's it's interesting. You're right. How people, uh, how their pain um, and their level of tolerance adjusts over time. So, so that uh, and this, this is sort of a bad, good news, bad news situation. But you know, once you clean your diet up and you realize how good you can feel and you realize how much energy you have by going periods, long periods of time without eating uh, and or longer periods of time without eating and how much and how much you maintain muscle mass and how you don't get sick because your immune system is enhanced and your level of pain drops because you're not systemically uh, inflamed all the time you you know you you get into this uh, wonderful zone of comfortability and then if you go back to your old way of eating then you really notice it and that's yeah. the, that's the bad news if you go back yeah. to the way it was, then you start to feel the bloating, the the inflammation, the joint stiffness, the joint pain, and things like that. Uh, but but a lot of people are just oblivious because they've lived this way in this sort of pain. Look, I mean, when I was in my forties, I had arthritis in my fingertips, and I thought mm. that's normal. That's just you know, it's a, a artifact of being forty seven or whatever it is. And it wasn't until I gave up grains and the pain went away that I thought, holy smokes! I mean, this is this is a revelation. Like. What I was eating was causing a lot of my discomfort. Was eating was causing my bloating and and my IBS and my and my arthritis in my hands, um, and and my sinus infections and my GERD and and you know a number of things that literally went away when I cleaned up the diet. Mm-hmm. Now again, the bad news is like I'll give you an example. I had um, my wife and I were we were at a restaurant uh, down, down below here that serves an amazing pizza. We heard it was an amazing pizza. We didn't know because we don't eat pizza. So last week we said, let's get a pizza. So we got a pizza and it was great. And then I paid for it the next day, mm. you know? So, um, you know, you, you, when you clean up your act, you clean up your diet, you do uh, hit a new level of, of awareness and a new level of, of comfort that you can get just as used to the new level mm-hmm. of comfort mm-hmm. as you got used to the old level of discomfort. <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh, sure. Yeah. And same with the uh, hyperpalatable foods. I mean, yeah. uh, 
you know, I've lived a lifetime filled with uh, inhaling all kinds of um, delicious stuff with the frozen yogurt trips and the hot fudge sundaes that I'd make myself. And even today, I love those popcorn binges sometimes where I'm like, this is great because I don't eat that much. But I think um, if you can change from a habitual uh, lousy eater to someone who really cares about and prioritizes their health and knows that, hey, once in a while we're going to celebrate, yeah. we're going to enjoy the heck out of it with full intention and awareness, and then go back to that baseline, which, if you've been watching from earlier, is a fasted state. Yeah. Then, you, then you're, then then you're, you're doing great. You're, you're doing right. great. Yeah. 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 Well, I think we transition now with a, with a deep breath into the mindset part of the book. And I think this is something that's really uh, meaningful to, to both of us because we've had the privilege of engaging with real live primal enthusiasts and I've seen them come up to you at the conferences sometimes with tears in their eyes saying, Mark, I'm, I'm trying everything. It's not working. I'm frustrated. I'm in despair. Uh, what do I do? Usually have a good quip for them, like nothing cuts you up like sprinting. But uh, honestly, yeah. there is a lot beneath the surface here where there's still the pain and suffering, not, not the type of uh, bloating that you just described but something with the mentality. And so I've, I've, I felt like um, we could talk about that and, and know that that's an important part of the book yeah. and, and changing that mindset from that kind of um, self-critical person to a cheerleader who you know, gives you that love and support you deserve as you strive to achieve a life transformation and a dietary transformation. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like um, so many people... Um, you know, read the books and they intellectually get mm. what they need to do and they make the lists and they stick to the lists. Uh, and, and, but they don't really go deep enough into, uh, the why, uh, into, you know, what it is that, um, is prompting me to go off the rails when I do. What is it that's causing me to, even though I was good all day long, to hit the refrigerator, uh, at 9 30. Uh, watching TV, um, what are the you know what are the um, the underlying um, emotions that are driving my tendency to to uh, sabotage my efforts to clean up my act when in fact I know it's intellectually I know it's good for me I've read the, again I've read the material I know what to do I just somehow don't um, follow through or I don't know how to do it or I don't know um, you know what I can do. That will give me, you know, the willpower or the strength to follow through on this, and that's really uh, an interesting area to, um, I think, for everyone to look at because, um, you know, we've had a lot of success over the years with people who've done the programs, the Primal Blueprint, Keto Reset Diet, and so on. But you know, there are people who, who show up and say, "I, I think I did everything, but I still have, I still can't shed this weight. I still can't, you know, get to the point where I'm enjoying my life." Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you're, you know, you've, you've led the way in this chapter a lot with some of the techniques and strategies. Why don't you? Well, that, that, the, the insights from Bruce Lipton and also Deepak Chopra talks about this a lot, where we're arguably walking around uh, just kind of uh, you know, unconscious or, or operating from flawed subconscious programming that largely gets programmed in in childhood. Yeah. And if we get these, these messages and carry them with us throughout our life, even though we might be in denial in a lot of ways, and that's what's fascinating for me. I'm, you know, trying to, trying to go back. Did I have a cr- lousy childhood? No, no, my mother and father were great. They were yeah, nice yeah, to me. Yeah. They thought I was cool. But we walk around with stuff underneath the surface that we're not really conscious of 
how profoundly yeah. it affects our behaviors and our choices. One of them, uh, especially in the in the um, health enthusiast scene, is this sense of uh, feeling undeserving and that you have to torture yourself with excessive exercise to the point of exhaustion right. and food deprivation or, you know, spinning out because you weren't perfect on your diet. So now you're uh, uh, sponsored by Ben and Jerry's all of a sudden uh, just because you're, you're not perfect. And I see those patterns come up and we know from being in the endurance scene, we should probably look at, look in the mirror ourselves and what the hell are we doing torturing ourselves like that to, to run a faster time for a marathon? Who wants to run a marathon anyway? It's too far. Yeah. Well, we, you know, we, we, we're operating under a mindset that more was better. That that if you did, if you weren't willing to hurt. And by the way, we we were in a in a uh, unique field of sports, which was not about having fun and playing a game <laughs> and enjoying it with a teammate. Right. It was about managing discomfort. Mm. So what you and I did for 20, 30 years was go out and train to manage discomfort. Whether it was doing a twenty mile run or a hundred and twenty mile bike ride or you know forty sets of two hundred in the pool or whatever it was. It was always about managing discomfort, and 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 so that mindset, um, you know, has served us well. I think it served me well as as a competitor because with that mindset, when you show up that day to the line to start that race, you are lined up with twenty other guys who are equally as trained as you, mm-hmm. equally probably as genetically gifted, um, who want it as much as you do, and really that day, and I know you'll 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 agree with this. That day, the race comes down to. Who is willing to manage pain to the greatest depth so that everyone else around them collapses, <laughs> right? Well, what kind of life is that, right? What kind of life is that? Which is why for the last 20 years, whenever I work out, I play games. You know, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I'm paddling with dolphins. I'm playing Frisbee with my friends. I'm, I'm fat biking on the beach, on the sand. It's, 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 you know, it's a whole different world for me now that I'm having fun doing it. But except the mindset those soft spots were pure soft, torture. So I, it was mostly I, fun I until you get out, into the really deep sand. But we came me, out people, of the sand today. We're going to film Mark Sisson someday <laughs> on this workout. It'll it'll rock your world. You can't yeah. believe it. But the mindset, which which is to beat yourself up, mm. um, that's that's a pervasive mindset that you don't have to be an endurance athlete to have that same mindset of beating yourself up. Like like you know. This isn't going to work unless I suffer. is, is mm. one of the is one of the standard yeah. mindsets. Like yeah. unless I make myself suffer, this isn't going to work. There's no way this process of developing metabolic flexibility can be enjoyable. It just can't be, uh-huh. right? And so the mindset, th- th- then you prove it right. Then yeah. you just prove it right. You yeah. make it difficult for yourself. So there are some strategies about how to you know how to like lighten up a little bit and how to you know view uh, you know how to how to keep. Again, snacks in you know at close at hand. So if you if you start to derail yourself or go off the you know go off the deep end, you can do that. Or how to just take a break and go outside and 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 meditate. Or if you're at work and you're feeling hungry, how to leave and do a micro workout and just do a, a, a mini workout that not only takes your mind off the hunger, it actually accomplishes a workout for the day, and it pro- it's it starts the process of your body creating renewed energy because it has to it has to get the energy from somewhere. Mm. So there's, there are all these. There are a lot of these strategies that we talk about that are, again, designed to make this process one of uh, enjoyment and ease and grace and not this um, this arduous task that I have to get through and somehow on the other side, when it's over, um, you know, I'll have lost all this weight. This is really about reprogramming yourself 
with a mindset for the rest of your life mm-hmm. to look at every time you eat and every meal as pleasurable, enjoyable, um, certainly fueling up, but not something to feel guilty about or obsess over or, uh, or worry about or uh, hunger for or anything. You know, it's like, I don't, I don't know quite how to describe it other than it's an intuitive realization that we come to that food is awesome <laughs> and when I eat it, I enjoy the hell out of it. And when it's not there, I don't even think about it. Yeah, you're operating from a position of gratitude. Yeah. And the research has become a popular topic now. Dr. Robert Emmons and our, our boy Ben Greenfield wrote his <laughs> gratitude journal. Yeah. And you hear the, the term coming around. And uh, I, I, I appreciated some of your posts about this where um, you know, it's, it's, it's easy to kind of uh, acknowledge that in passing. But then when you actually sit down with a journal and write with your hand yeah. things you're grateful for and, and making that exercise, or I mean, a lot of people say grace before they eat a meal. Maybe I should, uh, you and I should start doing that. We, we forgot today, but <laughs> yeah. something in there yeah. where you, you remember how, how much of a privilege it is yeah. to be able to eat Absolute, a delicious meal. Absolutely. Instead or, you know, of, you know, yeah. mindlessly sure. running through your, uh, sure. your house, wolfing something right. down. right. You know, or to be able to do a workout pain free, or you know, have gratitude for th- those little things that you mm. that you do tend to Instead take. Instead of looking granted. at your time and going, "Damn, yeah. that was a crappy workout today." Yeah. No such thing. Yeah, yeah, right, right. yeah. You showed up. Um, well, you uh, you're a fan of Jack Canfield. I know you went to one yeah. of his masterminds and had that life changing. What was it? A weekend retreat or something? Yeah. yeah. So we put little plugs for him in there and the, these turnaround statements, which is such a cool thing where you identify this area where you're struggling and, you know, make, a, uh, make an actual statement and repeat it. I believe it's several times a day for 30 days to make it stick. And uh, I know you're big on the, the, the manifesting world and your wife's yeah. into spiritual psychology and it's, it's part of the scene here. Um, and maybe we could just uh, mention that a little bit, how, uh, you know, you're ready to change you want to change. It, it makes sense what we're saying or what you're reading. And then to actually execute and put those concrete steps into place, how important that is for the human brain to, to redirect and, and wire new pathways. Okay. That's it. It's <laughs> That's as simple it. You, as that. No, you said it. Yeah. I mean, read, I, read about those turnaround statements, people. <laughs> Pretty fun. Yeah. yeah. And I'm, I'm guilty of... Uh, reading something and saying, oh, I got this. That's, yeah. not, that's not a problem for me. Yeah. I'm, I'm disciplined enough. Yeah. I don't have to worry about overdoing it with my workouts. Well, wait a second. How come I keep overdoing it with my workouts? Yeah. I'm telling people all the time not to because yeah. it's too much fun out there and I get too pumped up. But uh, all these areas where we have room to progress, yeah. take, take the steps. You know, take, some, take some baby steps and, and make a commitment to really execute it rather than paying lip service to it. And that's a really nice transition into the next section of the book about lifestyle. And sleep is the number one most important thing. And I can't, I don't think I've met anyone that doesn't nod their head in acknowledgement. Oh, yeah, sleep's so important. And yet it's and probably yet, yeah. one of the biggest major first disconnects thing, of modern life. First thing they drop out, the first thing that goes when they're, when they're making their schedule is sleep. <laughs> well, I don't yeah. need, I don't need nine hours of sleep. I can get by on seven and a half. Eesh. I mean, look, sleep, uh, as we said from, from the beginning, the first book we wrote, uh, sleep is the single most overlooked opportunity to, to reaccess uh, health, whether it's mm-hmm. mental health, whether it's restorative health, whether it's uh, recuperation from, uh, from an illness, 
whether it's just um, keeping your sanity about you. Uh, sleep uh, is an important part of any uh, health program. And when I people ask me how much sleep do you get, I, I well, you know, um, sometimes eight, sometimes nine, sometimes nine and a little bit more. Oh, and, I, and I good don't and I don't apologize for that. I'm like, I'm proud of it. You know, some people are like, you know, uh, they brag about getting four or five hours of sleep a night. I brag about getting eight or nine, you know. Okay, I feel better now. What I, do you get? I, I'm in the wintertime. I, I, I've, I've noticed more uh, lately, I guess living in Lake Tahoe and having yeah. a true winter, that uh, I probably have an extra hour of sleep tagged on. Um, this great book called Lights Out, Sleep, Sugar, and Survival by Form B and Wiley uh, are talking about that disparate need for sleep based on the seasons yeah. and, the, and the length of light. In the summer, we can get away with less yeah. sleep and more activity, yeah. even more uh, uh, carbohydrate calories. And then in the winter, we need to respect that shift, even though we have 24-7 lighted yeah, well, summertime-like environment now. But yeah, yeah sleeping, sleeping more in the winter, and I'm, I'm hitting that nine hours and f- not feeling like waking up except for, uh, crap, you know, I've, I got nine hours, that's got to be enough. Uh, but I think... Not everyone can do this. Maybe more people now with the changing yeah, economy with, and society. With, with but COVID forget that alarm it. and sleep what you need to sleep. Yeah. And the research is really strong saying, um, you know, go to sleep at the same time yeah. every night. There's no makeup. There's no makeup. Uh, no, it isn't. I mean, there. if I stay out late, which is rare, but if I do, I get up the same, the same time the, uh, the next morning that I would Oof. normally get up. Yeah, I can't sleep good. in. I can't sleep yeah. in. So, so for me, regular sleep time has been a critical component. Usually it's 1030 to seven is like my, like my, you know, my, my, uh, guardrails. Guardrails. Um, yeah. <laughs> like um, and the sleep environment, right? So I mm. sleep, you know, on a chili pad. So the surface of my bed is 65 degrees. The room temperature is 68 degrees. I have a heavy cover on top. I sleep on a firm mattress. In fact, my uh, my wife and I, you know, we have a California king size bed. She likes a softer surface, so she she has a two inch thick foam pad on her side of the bed, and I'm I'm on the stiff part of the the regular mattress. And, and a different temperature chili pad. Oh my, or, she yeah. doesn't have a chili pad anymore. <laughs> she just great. yeah, she just sleeps on the phone. So she, she sleeps you know, warmer, but I need the, I need the coolness of the chili pad. I need the, um, I need the, the, the coolness of the room. I need, we have blackout curtains. Mm-hmm. I think that's really important. Uh, I have white noise. So we have usually have a fan going all night long or an air conditioning unit going all night long, something like that that keeps the white noise going. Mm-hmm. Like I, like my sleeping environment is so critical to me that when I'm on the road and I'm traveling and I'm like, I'll, I will move a hotel room because I couldn't get the air conditioning fan to be a consistent noise it would be go uh-huh. you know it would go pitta 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 whatever so so uh it's really critical to, i think um it's certainly for me but critical for most people to have a really good sleep environment so that the whatever amount of sleep you get seven eight hours is is quality sleep uh yeah and i like that research talking about no clutter in the bedroom and how looking at a pile of unfinished work or an unfinished home improvement project, merely looking at it will trigger a cortisol spike, a stress yeah, hormone yeah. response that you're not even aware Gotta of. Got to do that tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And then we don't watch TV at all in, in the bedroom. So even though we could, there's a bedroom, I mean, a bedroom, there's a TV there. You know, we make sure Just the that, show. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> it's actually covered up by, by uh, curtains now. But um, yeah. So that's, I mean, sl- again, sleep is a very, very critical component of, of this. I think uh, people realize that by now. We also talk about 
rest, recovery, yeah. rejuvenation in general, yeah. and in particular, the age of the mobile device, not giving our brains any time to rest and relax. And uh, yeah, here we're near we're near your balcony where you could sit out and yeah. look over the beach and watch the boats come through. Yeah, and I enjoy that change of scenery. It's really really cool. Yeah. and I realize you could just sit here and watch the world go by, and it would be enjoyable and incredibly soothing. Yeah, and we used to do that in uh, decades past. Well, and people and now sitting. now we're like this. Yeah. Yeah. People used to sit on their porch, right? You know, and watch the yeah. and watch. Especially you in young Sacramento. viewers, what Mark's talking yeah, about yeah. is a, a porch is a thing in front of your house yeah, where well, there were chairs. Positioned. Usually, there was a chair that had a curved piece of wood underneath it, and it would rock back and forth. And people would sit on that chair, and and they'd whittle, they they you know, <laughs> and they and they'd have conversations. Yeah, and people don't do that anymore. Yeah, um, they have conversations, but it's like you know, with their thumbs. Yeah, uh, yeah. The, the 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 this digital device. Um, you know, uh, um, addiction that we have gets more and more out of hand uh, in my mind. And it's, it's really um, going to have to come to a head at some point because the disconnect with, uh, with people today, you know, you go to a, uh, an event with eight people sitting around a table and they're all in their devices. It's mm-hmm. just crazy. You know, yeah. they should be having a glass of wine and chatting it up and they're just busy with that. So yeah, so we, you know, we obviously t- talk a fair amount about, uh, about how to address the, um, this addiction we have with devices and how to allocate time and, and go on a device diet for uh, a <laughs> short period of time. Love it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and of course we're talking about the usual, that primal blueprint followers are familiar with the exercise laws of moving frequently, yep. lifting heavy things, sprinting once in a while. And uh, today it seems like they're more and more validated by breaking science and this uh, important emphasis now on just moving more as probably the number one health objective beyond uh, going and uh, doing a devoted workout regimen where you're sweating in the gym. It's crazy. I mean, you know, the first um, move around a lot at a low level of activity, aerobic activity, that was a uh, primal blueprint law number three, I think. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and that's really what is science is showing now that you don't have to do, you know, you don't have to count your calories. You don't really have to wear a, you know, a device to show you how many steps you took. It's just about moving through time and space. It's just about the movement throughout the day. It isn't about burning calories or, or, or you know, sweating or any of this stuff. It's about the movement. And then you and I have, have helped to pioneer this concept of micro workouts and these small little breaks that you take. Uh, so whereas you normally might have said, well, I don't have 45 minutes to go to the gym. And there's no parking in the lot usually. Yeah, I don't have uh, exactly 20 minutes to drive, 10 minutes to look for parking, 5 minutes to get changed, 45 minutes to an hour to do my workout, you dr- drive home, take a shot, all that stuff. No, you. The, the idea behind these workouts, these mini workouts, these micro workouts is you can take that 45-minute workout and and – do it in little bursts throughout the day and have accumulated a workload that would have been the equivalent of going to the gym and doing all this, except you're doing it on your time. You're doing it in breaks in between phone calls or, you know, uh, moments of inspiration if you're writing. And, uh, and you don't sweat because you're not spending enough time to, to actually do it to sweat, but you're doing the work and the work is manifesting itself in strength and power and range of motion and mobility and all the things that we are looking for when we work out. I think the best thing for me in my, in my older age group now is that you're kind of 
uh, flying under the radar in terms of the uh, the risk of fatigue, breakdown, and burnout from yep. doing these difficult workouts. And when you do a micro workout, uh, you know, it takes a minute or two yep. minutes, yep. and um, it's not you're not at risk of overtraining from that like you would be if you were in this gym pattern where you're meeting with your trainer and they're killing you for an hour and fifteen minutes. And it, it, yeah, it only, you're, you're yeah. literally giving your you know, your mindset to them. And you're saying, I give up. I don't have any say in this workout. I paid you a lot of money. You got to drag me through this workout regardless of how I feel, mm. right? Versus, and that's that's happens in the gym and it happens with, whether if you have a trainer, if you have a training buddy, if you're in a group. It happens a lot in groups, in group training, whether it's boot camps or, you know, CrossFit stuff where you're like, got to keep up with the group versus, you know, the ability to self-monitor and, mm. and do a, a micro set or a, a, a mini set and then, just sort of take a step back and go, how did that feel? That felt great. Okay, can I do another one? Or can I do another one in 10 minutes? Or or was that sufficient for today? And um, what was the last thing we just, I just read like four seconds, four seconds of all out uh, anaerobic activity as a sprint yeah. was just as effective as some huge, <laughs> Ed Coyle out of uh, oh. Texas just, 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 uh, published this a few days ago, like four seconds of full-on anaerobic, you know, all-out activity mm-hmm. punctuated by a few minutes of rest and then doing it again a couple of times is really all you needed to, to generate, prompt the kind of uh, changes in mm-hmm. uh, testosterone growth hormone output, in, uh, you know, myosin, you know, muscle fiber uh, development and all these all these other things. So it doesn't take a lot of work. And I think just as we're saying it doesn't take a lot of uh, calories and a lot of you know other uh, a lot of food to keep you going and keep you energetic and 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 healthy throughout your life it doesn't take as much as you thought it doesn't take as much exercise right to be fit as you thought right yeah. we want to move as much as possible yeah walk around but that that in between area that you call chronic cardio yeah. is now proving to be an incredible disaster and an epic fail when it comes to body composition. Yeah, and yeah, these these short bursts. I have the Carol bike; it's an indoor stationary bike, yeah. and the workout's eight minutes long. And the guy on the on the website, he's wearing a suit yeah. doing this workout because you don't sweat yeah. if it's less than eight minutes. Yeah. But you do two two twenty second all out sprints where you're yeah. trying to maximize your wattage. Yeah, and it's tough, yeah. and it's all it's all I want to do, and uh, you know, sitting on a stationary bike for longer than that, you yes, get bored, bored after yeah. after riding so many miles. No, I know. Yeah, I, I go to the gym to read to read a book <laughs> when I'm riding a bike. Yeah. Oh, I happen to be re- I happen to be riding the bike, but I mostly do it to catch up on my reading. Yeah, because it's so boring to do that. So we uh, should uh, probably yeah, we got up. a good trip through the book here. Yeah, um, it ends with some really cool stuff like the advanced strategies for yeah. people who have really made a lot of progress and then want to want to want to cut up further and get that get that dream body going one of them's cold exposure which you and i are big fans big of fan. yep. we'll have a whole nother whole nother episode about that probably uh but that that's a nice package especially for people that may be familiar with mark stingley apple and what, mm. what we've been talking about for right. a long time uh, there's a lot of fun fun juice in here that'll that you get you excited but yeah. i think also especially um you know, if you are a big enthusiast and you've been doing this and you've changed your life from from primal living, giving this gift to someone you know on the fringe, yeah, family, friends, loved ones, it's very uh, user friendly in that sense because we're not diving into this uh, caveman style hole or, or keto right. uh, craziness. Right. It's somewhat it's somewhat agnostic in terms of the way of eating. It's mostly about how to achieve this metabolic flexibility using the strategy. 
that, that literally relies on the programming that we have in our genes, in every one of us. Uh, and that's always been the beauty of what we talk about in our books, is how do we tap into this, uh, this power that we all have, this superpower that we have to achieve excellent health uh, by figuring out the right ways to eat, when to eat, how to move, how to sleep. Uh, and I think you really enjoy this book. I, I'm very proud of this book. It's like, it is the culmination of the 15 years that we've been working together. Two meals a day. Thank you for watching, listening. If you're looking to bring the heat to game day snacks and party platters, or are looking to add a little feisty flavor to your sauce collection, Primal Kitchen's buffalo sauce brings just the right amount of heat. Keto certified, Whole30 approved, and Paleo certified, this creamy sauce is made with high-quality, real food ingredients like cashew butter, avocado oil, cayenne sauce, and organic garlic powder. Primal Kitchen Buffalo is a medium heat sauce made without sugar and without xanthan gum, keeping the focus on delicious, real food flavor that adds a craveable kick to cauliflower bites or chicken wings. So use the code PRIMALBLUEPRINT to take 20% off your purchase at checkout.